Welcome to the Talking, Teaching and Flow podcast. My name is Rafan Kebe and this is a podcast about the art and artistry of teaching and of coaching others to find their flow in their chosen discipline. Today my guest is my friend Matt Morley, who's a health and sustainability expert and a certified green building professional. Matt is the founder of Biophilico, a nature-inspired interiors consultancy, and of Biofit Health and Fitness, which is a gym design and natural fitness training business. The Biofit team has designed sustainable gyms in the UK, Sweden, South Africa, Montenegro and Canada, with two more to follow in Italy in early 2021. The Biofit and Natural Fitness Method is available as part of a growing collection of e-courses for both amateurs and fitness professionals on their website www.biofit.io Matt speaks a few languages and is currently based in Barcelona, Spain. In this conversation, we talk about how he went about starting his consultancy work, his courses, his training and mindset, and the use of various languages in the work setting, as well as how to be a healthy generalist. Take good care, and I hope that you enjoy the conversation with Mr. Matt Morley. Mr. Matt Morley, thank you so much for being here and giving me some of your time, brother. Nice to see you. Great to be here, brother. All good. So, listen, to introduce yourself to everyone, can you speak to us about where you are right now, where you come from? and where you think you're going to go. <laughs> As an yeah. introduction, I think that'd be awesome. All right. Well, where I'm at right now, I'm in Barcelona. Uh, mm. I've been living here for about two and a half years now. I'm London born and raised. Studied languages at university, and really that was kind of a ticket to ride and started traveling and living abroad. Um, I was living in France, Paris, Milan, South Africa, Montenegro, uh, Lisbon, Portugal, and I've ended up in, in Spain. Barcelona is a wonderful combination of, of lifestyle, um, outdoor activities, and, and a great-sized city. Um, so I can, I can get up onto the trails really quickly behind my house, and I can get down to the beach within, say, four kilometers jog. So it's just a great if you're into outdoor activities. And I pretty much train only outdoors now, apart from the martial arts. So it just, mm. it just works really well. My background is, I guess, a, a sort of a combination of if you like, two parallel paths that about 10 years ago started to merge. So there was there was always the fitness and the interest in, yeah, the physical side, but it wasn't my profession. It wasn't part of my my work until about 10 years ago. I was more in into brand consulting and then I got into marketing and then eventually started working for a property developer where I was basically charged with sort of you know, taking a space that they had and putting a concept inside. So it might be, hey, we've got this small retail store. Can you put a, can you, we've got a space for a retail store. Can you put something in it? And that's, we'd like it to be in a kind of natural organic way. Or we've got this pool club. Could you help us with this and sort of fit it out with some furniture? And you know, I just sort of evolved in that direction and gradually learned about how to take four walls or, or not with or without a ceiling or not four walls, but some, some floor space and mm. inject a concept in. So that was kind of where I started playing around with this idea. And then in parallel with that, I'm all about eating organically, following the seasons, not using any gym equipment, moving my body in a natural way, trying to get into really sustainable living and sustainable lifestyles. And, and so about 10 years ago, they started to merge. Five years ago, I launched 
Biofit, which was my first project by myself as a way to really sort of bring those two things together and to make some contribution to the world of fitness and gyms by using what I know about, let's call it real estate or interior design and creating experiential spaces combined with this, what was really becoming a bit more than a passion. I was finding myself in, you know, let's say like work meetings with like muddy hands and like sweaty shorts on underneath. I'm like, what am I doing, Matt? You can't carry on any further in this way, you know, trying to sort of dress like a, let's say a businessman and the two worlds were colliding. And I was like, no, no, okay, we, we need to make a step down. So that was, that was about five years ago. And yeah, look, where, where's it going? It's been it's been a really interesting journey. Uh, it has evolved incredibly over that time and become something I probably didn't expect when I when I started it. But I think that's you know, probably uh, pretty standard. I've also started in a way I went heavily over into the world of fitness and really just tried to do gyms. And I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up my own gym. It became more of a consultancy business, offering sort of online learning and what have you. And in a way, I've, over the last few years, gone back. I started being asked if I could help someone, for example, with an office space in Switzerland. Could you help make this office space more eco and natural and sustainable? And then from there, I got other office spaces, again, with that same brief. And so I've, in a way, I still have the biofit piece, but then I've moved across or back towards commercial real estate. And now, in a way, my thing is about creating green and healthy spaces and helping people to live green and healthy lifestyle. So when I look forward into the future, that's that's really now my mission for the next, I'd say like five to 10 years is to to work towards promoting and, and delivering green and healthy places. So that could be a 40 square meter indoor hotel gym. Uh, it could be a thousand square meters of eco co-working space, or it could be, you know, maybe one day a whole building that I do myself. So it's good to have some, some big picture of where you want to go to, right? I hear you. I agree. Oh, totally not. And thanks for sharing that. That's pretty awesome. You mentioned briefly that you speak quite a few languages. Um, do you use them in, in your work and coaching, I assume, right? Yeah, there's often the, the multiculturalism thing is a really interesting piece. I actually put it down to I think the word that lies behind that is communication. Okay. Uh, ultimately, it's about communicating mm -hmm. and you know having something to say. Uh, and then knowing how to communicate it effectively. You know, as a teacher, um, I probably do l far less of the direct one-to-one -one than you do, uh, but I've, I've sort of started to focus, focus more on how I can communicate a certain set of values, I think, is what I'm, is what I'm really about, a way of seeing the world and a, a certain way of living and trying to yeah, communicate that largely online and via a physical presence, so in an actual physical space. So the languages, um, you know, I'd say probably help to smooth the process. It's just so helpful when you get a client um, from Italy and you're able to sit down at lunch with the, the engineer who's building a hotel and the architect, one's from Milan, one's from Naples, sit down, share a pizza and do it in Italian. It just, it makes everything so much easier. So they've been a great gift, um, but I, I still think the communication is is great. But it's really what you have to communicate that, that to be able really to counts. back it up. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, it shows quite a bit of of interest in the other party, right? Um, to actually show up and try your best to communicate in their language. I think it's a massive selling point. And I'm always proud of you when uh, when you and I talk about the various travels and 
And then you go, yeah, you know, I was talking Italian with this guy and then Spanish and then I went to Lisbon and I've learned Portuguese and, and I know that you speak French because from time to time we text, it, text each other in French. So um, it's always an amazing piece of, I was going to say, equipment that you have at your disposal, which uh, I'm, I'm jealous of, to be honest with you, but that's a different story altogether. I love the sound of BioFit and I remember you a few years ago kind of breaking it down for me where you talked about nature and fitness, but also perhaps what you saw as something perhaps a bit missing in the uh, natural movement circles, which was that, okay, we're going to be body weight orientated, but you, and correct me if I'm wrong, you kind of saw a gap in how people relate to the actual environment that they are working within. So paying more attention to yourself and using less external tools is one thing, as in being body weight orientated is great. But now trying to marry yourself and your working out and your training with the environment is, I think, where you come in. And, and it's uh, from the little I saw or I see of your work, it's, I think, amazing that you're trying to bring those three things together, fitness, nature, and the awareness of the environment around was that in your business plan or is that was that in your eye in your mind from the get-go with biofit yeah so there were there were two things that i was looking to do the first was to continue that philosophy of a more natural approach um, and when i use the word nature sometimes i use bio which in some languages represents organic and natural sometimes mm. you may be inspired by the evolutionary or ancestral health approach that was that was heavily influencing me in the sort of 2010 to 2015 that was really where i started getting into what was happening in the west coast of the usa with the sort of primal and ancestral health movement uh, and then which was more the philosophy and the ethos. And then you were seeing what was happening with guys like MoveNet and Ido Portal and, and that whole sort of shift towards very practical, natural movements in the case of MoveNet and, and just pure, raw strength and mobility from, from the whole sort of movement crew around, uh, based around Israel and, and Ido Portal. And yet, I think what I what I felt was perhaps lacking or missing there was was a slightly more, I want to say, commercial version, something that I thought could work in a in your sort of classic fitness studio. Uh, the MoveNut thing is 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 so pure uh, that I think almost sometimes it can it can leave some people out. Um, certainly in the kind of let's call it the middle market, where it's perhaps a, it's maybe a step too far. So I was just interested in. But what happens if we try and make it a bit more accessible, but still connect with that, the idea of real world movements, but but combine it with a fitness component and fitness being something that in a way people can connect with a bit more easily. So they're still getting a workout. They're still sweating. They're still hitting their calorie counts or whatever it is that they, they're aiming for or the physical changes they're looking for. And we deliver that, but we do it in a more natural way. So there was the training piece. And I mm. felt there was something, I felt there was an opportunity there. And then there's the, the environment itself. So I was also seeing that while training outdoors is great and it's my preferred modus operandi, if I can, I'm training outdoors. But I, by doing that, I, I also see the constraints of doing so. I happen to live in a place with over 200 days of sunshine a year, and that's partly why I'm here. But you know, when living in London a few years ago, that was pretty tough to train outdoors every day. And you were constrained and it placed it placed uh, limits on on frankly the frequency and duration of my own training regime and i was like gosh this is this isn't great and i'm i'm like obsessed with training so what about someone who's not that keen on it 
you ask them to train outdoors, go hang off some monkey bars in the park on a, on a cold, rainy morning in winter, that's a tough sell. Okay, so what would happen if we tried to continue that same natural or ancestral or evolutionary friendly approach through not just from the fitness and the training style, but into the, the training environment? So then that brought me to this concept of, of biophilic design or, or biophilia. Biophilic design, essentially a way to bring the outside world in using natural yeah. materials to create a multi-sensory indoor environment that's very much al aligned with and in tune with the outside world. Uh, it just so happens that that is a more natural and healthy environment to be in. And you can do it in a beautiful way that has sort of visual appeal or multi-sensory appeal as well. So once I hit upon the biophilic design thing, uh, that was really an aha moment for me because it, uh, you know, there's a whole series of, of materials and sort of specialist suppliers and manufacturers that you can work with once you know what you're, what you're looking for. And so it was biophilic design plus natural fitness. And if you kind of put that into a box and shake it around, uh, what type of an experience comes out the other side? And that, that was really the premise for, for Biofit. And you're here talking about, obviously, speaking and working with individuals, but I, I know and understand that you're working with, you've started working a lot with companies, so that B2B aspect, and whilst you're now offering quite a few things to people who want to work with you, which um, I want us to talk about, can you speak some more of that B2B aspect of when you're now trying to organize a, a place, a space, an environment for a company? What are the, um, the questions that you ask or what are the briefs that you are somehow forced to work with? Um, can you share some of that with us? Sure, yeah, and it, it is different. It was by no means what I set out to do. And I think mm. anyone undertaking their own entrepreneurial journey, you just have to be prepared for that. Um, you know, I, I, I decided that the, the best way to realize this vision was to create a gym uh, and to, to build a gym and to own a gym and get into the bricks and mortar game. And, you know, in retrospect, it was probably overambitious and a bit of a red herring in terms of when one of the hardest things is to separate your vision for a business from the reality of actually running the kind of business that you think you're going to create. And, you know, I'm not really made to be a gym manager or a gym owner. I'm, I'm much better at trying to do um, help other people to realize that type of vision. I'm more of a sort of service provider than a day-to-day -day customer service operations guy. Uh, I'm, I prefer the strategic part. So I was going down the wrong path, but sometimes the market lets you know, uh, and thank goodness it did, because I was kind of, you know, I was at the end of my two-year game plan. The money was running out. I, I did a pop-up gym in, in London, which was really the last hurrah for my, for my startup journey, and it had to work. And during that process, while I was in the, the pop-up gym that we did in Notting Hill, I get a call from Canada uh, with a guy who's seen my stuff online. He's a, he's a MoveNap practitioner. He's a natural chiropractic. And he was building a new uh, three-story building in Calgary and said, look, man, I've got this 55 square meter space. I love what you do. Our whole building is eco-sustainable. We'd love if you could help us create a movement studio. And, you know, boom, okay right turn, total pivot from the business model, and suddenly I'm, I'm helping someone else to deliver a similar vision to the one I was trying to do, um, but they get to keep the baby afterwards. And that was really where, where it started. And I just found that I was 
I really enjoyed working with a team of like-minded people. Frankly, by the time someone comes to me, I, we, we have a lot in common already. So it's, it's really fun work because they, they get what I do and they, they appreciate the, the values, I think, that, that lie behind me or lie behind the business. But it, yeah, you do then have to take on more of a, a consultant's mind frame mindset, which is, okay, so who are we targeting in this instance? And mm. how many people do we think we're going to fit into this space? And how are you going to sell it and promote it? And what are the local competitors? If you've already got a MoveNat studio around the corner, then do you want to be doing natural movement classes? Or do you want to do more of a kind of a natural fitness approach where you combine fitness with the sort of natural philosophy? Nowadays, I'm working with hotels and resorts, and that seems to be the area that's, that's growing most. I did a safari lodge in, in South Africa, and there, again, you have to understand who the target market is, um, their age bracket roughly, and you might have you know, two demographics. You might have sort of a slightly older generation or the parents and then the kids or the younger kids or teenagers. Okay, well, can you do something for both or do we just focus on one? Do they want more of a sort of CrossFit style gym uh, mm. in a hotel, you have to tick some boxes. You know, it's very, very difficult to move away completely from offering a treadmill, a bike, perhaps a rowing machine. So basically some cardio. And that was never really in my in my mix back in the back in the early days. But the the business has in a way come together with what's happening in the in the manufacturing market so now a lot of brands not many but enough brands are making slightly more natural treadmills or manual or eco-friendly treadmills there's still a long long way to go in terms of materials and manufacturing process but the aesthetics and the the amount of electricity used by these things they're they're making big big steps forward which is really encouraging so that means i can then put in a treadmill to keep your hotel guests happy because that's what they're looking for. And if you give them an empty space, some rings, some bars and some beams and no dumbbells and no cardio machines, a lot of people will get lost and you haven't got any operation. You, have no, you haven't got a PT waiting for a guest to arrive. So you have to give them enough signals and enough of what they know and combine that with some funky stuff, balance boards, rings, ropes mm -hmm. hanging from the ceiling, stool bars and just sort of tempt them towards that, that functional training style, give them some floor space. Yeah. You, know, you go into a hotel gym and, and someone like a techno gym has just sold a package of equipment, which is like, we're going to sell you the most equipment we can to fill your space. You don't need to pay for a gym designer. Just put wooden floors in, mirrors on the walls, put some lights in and give us some electricity sockets and we'll sell you the equipment to kit your gym out. So I've, I've come up against that in the, in the B2B space because people almost don't want to pay for a designer. They, they're used to just paying for the equipment and the, the, the supplier lays it all out and that's really all they have to think about. I come at it from a different angle saying that I think there's, there's more that we can do in terms of creating a really healthy environment that has a, perhaps an element of uh, restorative calm that has an element of, of uh, this biophilia thing which i just keep coming back to that i really really believe has positive impact on perhaps more the, the mind and the soul than mm. the body but i think if you've got someone in there for an hour then that's enough time to to show them that that the environment can improve on their their workout experience rather than your classic box underground with mirrored walls and a whole bunch of you know plastic based 
cardio machines and weights. And I, I, that was, you know, to sort of come back to where we started, it just felt like that there's got to be something better than that, that there must be. And so that was where now I'm finding I'm able to make a make an impact on that and more more hotels are showing interest in it after the one I did in South Africa. And right now with the whole COVID scenario, people are asking for indoor outdoor spaces as well, which, you know, looking down the line, I think that could be where where the growth comes from over the next 12 months. I hear you. You have the flexibility and the mobility and the skills to move from a B2B type of format to now offering your services as a coach from a more of a B2C type of thing where from you being a business straight into customers. And as you just mentioned, people asking you for help in setting up their indoor-outdoor spaces. I know that you have a couple of courses that you offer online, if it's okay for you to tell us more about those because I find it very, very interesting that you've managed to create a course called Creating a Home Gym that people can buy online, right? So obviously, uh, my assumption is that this is not for businesses per se. It's for people like myself. When did you make this? How is this working? Can you give us a bit more details about it? Yeah, so it's, I guess, given given my background, which is more on the, from, let's say, the business world, when I, when I get a number of requests or if I create a, a, a PDF that's downloadable in exchange for an email, I start to see a sufficient level of interest in a particular subject. Hmm. My my immediate reaction is rather than say, okay, I'm going to spend 20 minutes responding to this email, uh, which I was just doing too many times, or okay, yeah, can, would you like an hour of my time as a as a consultant? That also felt, I don't know, it wasn't quite right. I was, well, how can I, how can I try to codify this information and this knowledge? How can I put that together into something, package it up into a valuable piece of of online content? that I can then charge something for and then focus on uh, on promoting and marketing that and, and updating on a, on a yearly basis. It's just, it's just the way my business is, is set up and how I prefer to operate. Um, so the idea of creating a course was really in response to questions and, and frankly, just one too many. All right, okay, well, that's enough. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this uh, because it's unfortunately, you know, you get all kinds of questions doing what I do. There's, there's a, there's a real tribe of people out there who are just who want to know more, who are really interested in things. And if I if I tried to answer everyone and give them each you know 20, 30 minutes of my time responding carefully, I, I'd I wouldn't get much work done. And so while it's encouraging, I've also had to say, look, please check this out. And and I give a whole bunch of of the you know sub lessons as freebies. And look, if you want to know more, then please consider signing up for for the course. And so it really came from that. The home gym one clearly was a response to, to COVID. Uh, the opening a gym or, or fitness studio business course was because a lot of entrepreneurs contact me asking for advice on uh, how to design the gym, but they haven't oh, done that. That's your, I'm sorry, that's your second course. Yeah, opening yeah, a gym. Yeah, that one actually, I actually did that one first. And that, that's see. a sort of slightly more higher price course, mm-hmm. um, sells for like 275 quid. And that one's more for someone looking to set up a business. And it's like almost like a an online consultancy piece. And it's all the questions that I wished I'd been able to ask someone when I was trying to set up my first BioFit gym. And and it was a slow, painful process. I paid for a lot of consultants to help me on that road and then ended up not even opening a gym. But I was like, gosh, I I did all that work. You know, you were there. You saw the the the, the blood, sweat and tears for those two yeah. years in London trying to make it happen. It was tough. 
I got a lot of help along the way. And I had all that IP. I had that intellectual property and knowledge that was just sitting there. And I think nowadays with, you know, if you're, if you're half, halfway um, interested in creating content and you know how to create a presentation or to create a video or record high quality audio, creating a course really isn't that difficult. That the barrier to entry is now quite low. And once I realized that, I just thought, you know what, this is this is a whole new area of the business that is quite, um, it reinforces in a way the rest of the activities that I do. So when I go into a hotel now, often the brief is is a bit more than just, hey, can you, can you help us uh, redo our gym or can you help us create an outdoor gym or can you help us build this new structure that will be our fitness mm-hmm. hub? It's often... And can you help us to define a a kind of fitness philosophy that goes with that, that's aligned with our usually eco hotels or or conservation lodges or wellness hotels? And they want to offer a little bit more than just uh, an eco or natural gym. They also want to help their clients to understand the philosophy behind it and encourage them to train in in an eco, sorry, in a natural way. And so, the third course that I have around the, the fitness method, the BioFit Natural Fitness, on one sense, it's aimed at, at other coaches who I mm-hmm. encourage to. That was really a direct response to people saying, hey, we're, we're interested in what you do. How can we study it? Where are you? I'm like, well, I'm not in London or I'm not in New York, but here's the course online. And that one's that one's really done very well. Uh, and, you know, you start developing a little network of, of coaches and they become if not friends, you know, good acquaintances through the interactions that, that we have with each other whilst they're working through the course and sending me the, the videos at the end, the little test that we do. And at the same time, that in a way, I think, creates, adds a certain element of, of, of substance to my proposition when I go into a hotel and I'm able to talk about you know, a whole fitness philosophy. And often a hotel shows an interest in that and would like some interpretation of that to offer to their own guests and so you know it all it actually all interconnects it's it's been really interesting to see how the division between business to consumer and business to business is actually quite fluid and that's that's why it's worth investing in these things yeah totally i'm serious when i say i'm proud of you because of the way you seem to be able to i mean you've got three courses online the first one was spoke about which is you talking to other people wanting to create an own environment where they Mm. can train the second one being talking to coaches who want to offer something to others but i know that you have a third course as well which happens to be basically your philosophy of movement and training that you are now starting to implement and coach others into so you're doing amazingly at b2b b2c type of thing where you're just you're, you're kind of breaking those limitations so to speak in between and and now, but also be at a place where you can actually speak as a coach, I'm going to say a slash teacher as well. So I can see you building quite a bit of an empire here where you're now capable of speaking to hotels, people with small spaces and coaches, um, you know, students, so to speak, and people who want to do their own thing and based on your own business principles. Amazing. Can you speak of the third course you have? Because I know it's got to do with your own training philosophy. So perhaps even more personal to you. Yeah. I mean, it's um, to, to get to this, you know, clearly there's, there's a lot of, there's no shortcut. There's no mm. shortcut to do this. There's a lot of time. And the, the, the fitness course itself is the one that's, that's taken you know, the, the most. And, and when did it start? Yeah, man, like 
I guess, you know, in a way, I've been training for it my whole life, but concretely, I'd say probably about 12 years, which was the beginning of my own journey when I moved to South Africa and started started training in a more natural way. I uh, started martial arts, started yoga, uh, started training on the beach, running on the mountains, and that was both where I found problems with my own fitness regime at that time. Things weren't working, and it was also where I was opened up uh, my own my mind in a way to to training outdoors and that was a really so that's often where i date the beginning of this whole process and you know it's a it's a slow series of evolutions there's there's just yeah. no way to get there fast people are like well, you know, who are you to write your own course who do you think you are like, oh, fair enough but that's you can say the same of anyone i don't think anyone's inventing anything i think we're really it's it's how you edit and what mm -hmm. you focus on and how you present it and how you communicate it as yeah. well and for me, yeah, it was it was basically that I was I was fit, I looked good, I was training every day, and yet you'd go and give me an hour of vigorous tennis or an hour of, of kickboxing, and I'd be broken the next day because my body wasn't equipped for that. I could I could swim and I could I could train with my own body weight and I could run typically mid middle distance at a steady pace. Ask Matt to sprint or ask Matt to do a hundred tie kicks or ask Matt to touch his toes, and I was in difficulty. And you think, okay, so that's, there's something fundamentally wrong there. That, that's your body saying you're not, you know, if you think of an animal, they're not stretching before they move, but they, they might sort of go for an endurance piece where they're just having to keep moving for days and days, or they might have to do a really aggressive, fast movement to get out of trouble or to find some food. And I just felt that I was not that animal by a long stretch. And mm. I started asking questions about how I could improve that and how I could effectively become more of an all-rounder uh, mm -hmm. who could sprint, who could run far when needed, who could defend themselves, uh, who could lift something heavy, who could do a little bit of everything. And then you get into that whole generalist versus specialist debate, which is which is always present in, in the movement culture. And there is no definitive answer to that, I think. But I found that by doing you know, six to 12 months of study in different uh, protocols, whether it's Ido Portal or Capoeira or Jiu Jitsu or uh, various other martial arts or sprint training with a sprint uh, professional, or, you, know, you, could, you could then sort of piece together something to help resolve that initial pain point. I was trying to resolve why my body wasn't happy doing certain types of movement. Clearly, everyone has a different mix of slow and fast twitch muscle fibers. People, are, some are made for strength, some are made for endurance, which, which I get. But I just thought, well, eventually it became a combination of functional fitness with, let's say, animal style movements or, or locomotion patterns and a strong degree of mobility, which really is a is there to counterbalance the effects of our of our sedentary lifestyles. You could argue that you probably wouldn't need that if we were living an evolutionary friendly lifestyle, but we don't. We spend a lot of time not moving, not sitting, not not moving around, and too much time sitting. And so, mobility became this other piece that I really felt the need to introduce part again because I was not mobile I was training and getting tough and tight and not able then to to recover quickly enough mm -hmm. so strength stamina movement mobility became my my four sort of key foundation stones to the to the practice and continually coming back to that that value system of trying to keep it as natural as possible 
giving a sense of purpose to a movement so you can connect it with something practical, not just mm -hmm. I'm lifting you know, a weight over my head, but okay, well, what if you've got to get it from the ground to overhead? And an element of play and incorporating that sort of more playful approach that can make it, that helps in certain circumstances with certain groups or, or clients where, you know, maybe the natural movement thing is a bit challenging. But if you, if you suddenly make it playful, you'll be amazed at how people just sort of forget their, their insecurities or self-consciousness. I understand, you know, doing a bear crawl might not be so comfortable for some people, whether it's because of the position they're in physically, it's uncomfortable, or it's just not a, not a place they want to be because they're concerned about, about being seen. And I really came up against that um, hurdle early on. And so the making it more playful not just giving it a purpose, but but adding a play dynamic to it helps people just just get over that. And like, well, it's a game. Oh, okay. Fitness can be fun as well, yeah. not just yeah. not just hard work. I hear that. Then it's a beautiful way to make it sustainable as well, so that people actually come back to it and build a relationship over time, because that's what we want: sustainability. Awesome. What's the price of your that course in your method? The, the online course. So the method. So that I have. Really, two versions. One is the kind of for the everyday everyday trainer. That's at 175, and then I have a, a sort of pro version where we do a test at the end as well, um, where they get to send in their, their kind video. of like a little mini mini exam, the video, and answer some questions, mm -hmm. and that's an extra 50 quid just to. So okay. you know, I try to catch, and the pricing is interesting. I sort of I feel like if it's someone who's committing to someone who's who's doing it for a professional reason, finding a couple of hundred quid spending a couple of weeks getting a certificate and really taking value for it. Yeah. Okay. I hope that's a reasonable pitch for the home gym. You know, that that's priced considerably lower. I wanted that to be under a hundred quid and I often put discounts on, you can get it sort of 50 or 60 quid. So it's, it's meant to be more of a, yeah, someone at home with a space who just wants to improve it a little bit, perhaps has some sense that the environment can, can impact their, their mood or that yeah. it's just not not an attractive place to be like, well, what can I do you know what will be what will be a way or what interventions can I make what can I think about from the flooring to what you put on the walls to the type of lighting you put in and then the equipment selection so that you know if someone's not um, completely au fait with with what they need to create mm -hmm. a little mini setup finding the equipment's relatively easy but then it's like okay if you're doing it in a in a dark box and you've got to be in there at 5 a.m. before your family wake up and you've got to knock out a, a workout, how can how can you make that space as friendly and motivating and inviting? Yeah. 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 And you guys, so you know, in that sort of yoga movement space, like you guys are the masters at that. I've learned a lot from what happens in a yoga class mm -hmm. around you're creating a multi-sensory experience. You're playing with music, you're playing with light, you're playing with uh, so you've got the sound, the light. And in some cases, the temperature as well and scent. Yeah. But that, none of that seems to really happen in, in gyms so much. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't think of the scent. We don't, yeah. Music's often a forgotten piece as well in most gyms, apart from boutique fitness studios, perhaps. And so I was really inspired. I'm, your classes in London, you know, that's, a, that's a truly multi-sensory experience that you, you stage manage yeah. every, every peak and trough you know exactly what we're going through at each moment in that in that process, and I just felt doing something that was that curated and detailed 
surely there's there's things that the gym world can can learn from that. So kudos to the to the yoga crew because they really led the way on on a lot of those elements that really inspired me and continue to inspire. Yeah, I agree. I'm not convinced that a lot of yoga practitioners or teachers do that, but it's true that a few of his teachers are very well aware that uh, you can affect the physiology of everyone in a room by the manipulation of light, of the temperature, of the music, the type of music, the uh, loudness or the softness of the music that you're playing with. Obviously, the tone of your voice uh, matching that to the type of movement that you're working with, postures that you're working with, so on. It's, a, as you said, a multi-sensory experience for us. At, as such, this is how I've always seen it. I'm always glad to hear people from the outside recognizing those things because I go to the gym. I live across the street from a, a Virgin Active. And the truth is, because I'm so close, when I forget something, I always leave the gym and I come back home to get it. And the one thing that I never, ever forget, and when I do always come back, is my headphones. Because I found the sound scape of the gym in particular, any Virgin Actives that I've talked in or that I've trained in, for instance, always counterproductive for me. I sense there is no thinking behind what is being played, the, the volume at which it's played, the time of the day at which it's played. You know what I mean? It's like it, you only get that once you start stepping into Studio One where the yoga classes are in the studio and the teacher comes in and puts in often, you know, some flute music or whatever, or you step into the, um, the cycling where now you're going to get the beats and you feel like you're in a cinema because it's so loud. Now it's thought and engineered well or not. That's a different story, but, but otherwise the gym floor tends to be all over the place. So yeah, uh, I'm with you there. Where for me, I, I need my headphones in order to create my own environment. Interestingly, I'm finding that uh, a hotel or resort gym can be an opportunity to to bridge that gap because they tend to be smaller spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, you're already dealing with a certain clientele and you, you're yeah. much closer. It's less of a generalist. It's, it's less of a, you know, it's, it's a virgin. It's for everyone. By the time you get to a certain type of hotel and it's, it's thinking about conservation of wildlife, it's thinking about, you know, it's maybe got a, I don't know, an organic food menu in the in the restaurant. No, you're kind of, you're already in that space. So to then for me to go to the owner or, or manager of the hotel and say, look, you know, let's think about this. Let's think about what happens as you as you, you step into that space. Like, what, what do you, what do you smell? What do you hear? What do you feel? What are you touching? Like, what textures are you are you coming into contact with? What materials are you coming into contact with? Does it feel clean? Does it feel fresh? Have you got good ventilation? What's the music happening? And 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 do you feel motivated by that? How is the light? And is the light changing according to the time of day so that we're yeah. not disrupting sleep patterns with blue light for a 9 p.m. workout? And equally, you know, middle of the day, are we getting enough natural light in there and, and saving on energy? There's just a lot of details that you can you can play with uh, on a slightly smaller scale and with a more focused target audience. And so hotels and resorts are proving a really interesting market in that sense mm. because they're quite receptive to these, exactly what we're talking about, but you haven't got the restrictions of, of being such a, you know, uh, an all-rounder type gym that needs to kind of just please everyone. You can start to say, you know what, maybe we don't need a gym, a multi-gym. Maybe we don't actually need any weight machines at all. We're just going to have some cardio and some sandbags, some ropes, some kettlebells, and a few dumbbells. 
and yeah. and the rest is up to you. And maybe an iPad on the wall or or a, or a nicely printed little I don't know what little booklet that helps people understand how to make the most of it. And you can, you know, a hotel in that sense can stick their neck out just enough to say, yeah, you're right. We haven't got a peck deck. We haven't got a leg press. There's a bar in the corner and some plates and uh, there's some big sandbags and Bulgarian bags on the wall and go at it and just encourage someone to step that little bit outside their comfort zone. And we can do that. We can play with it because we know that they're already interested in, in let's say, a more sort of eco and sustainable lifestyle. And therefore, let's say it's fertile ground for us to go and, and prompt uh, uh, just at that moment of thought and reflection yeah. to show them that it can be done in a different way and that there are alternatives to your standard big box gym. Totally, totally. Yeah, I find that interesting. You're pointing this out in terms of um, actually using hotels for us as consultants, coaches, and teachers to get through to customers on a more wider basis because gyms so far, as far as I, as I know and as I can see, unless they are already nature or you know natural fitness orientated, are not really going to be thinking about those things. But hotels, and especially boutique hotels, uh, it's a very interesting way to, uh, yeah, thank you for making me think of that. And I understand now also why my wife, Simon, has been working with hotels, interestingly enough, in South Africa, a lot about creating soundscapes mm. for their various rooms and their lobbies and their pools. And they're thinking about it from that point of view, from the experiential aspect, because uh, I'm reminded of... Uh, Maya Angelou's quote, you know, uh, people will forget what you say and what you do, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And from a business point of view, from an hotel point of view, if you feel amazing walking from one room and then into another, and you have this sensory experience where nothing much is happening, yet you feel somewhat at peace, you are going to want to come back to that. Hence the, the sustainability as in you coming back you offering either your services as a coach or as a customer coming back and you know buying that service again Pretty yeah, awesome. i think in a way it's kind of like the the next level of experiential design it's almost mm. in some way transforming that person that guest just just a little bit just changing their philosophy planting, planting seeds yeah that's all you're not going to change their lifestyle overnight they're there for th two nights so they're there for a weekend but totally. if you can just provoke a response, if you can just suggest that there might be a different way of thinking about fitness, that when they get home, they too can can bring some of that with them and, and just make some small changes in their life. And that can often just create this sort of trigger domino effect that can then have incredibly positive impact on their life and the lives of those around them over the sort of you know medium to long term. So mm. I think if you can just do enough whilst uh, they're staying with you as a guest, then, then you've really, you've achieved far, far more than, than your standard hotel gym experience, which to be honest is a pretty low baseline, but nonetheless, that's the goal. <laughs> I agree. All right, Matt, before I ask you a, a few, I like to call them personal questions, I wanna talk about your podcast. You and I spoke about podcasts, as in I was sent to you, I wanna start this podcast we are both on right now, years ago. I'm a bit of a slow starter, I guess. But you also started your own podcast called uh, Green and Healthy Podcast. How is that going? And what is it yeah, you're so trying to cultivate here? I, I did not I did not spend two years planning that. Uh, no. That was that was 
me again in, in content creation mode and having a lot of time over the, the course of, uh, it was about sort of eight weeks when we were in a heavy lockdown in, in Barcelona and I was, I was doing some extra study around sustainability and real estate and green buildings. And I really spent some, uh, some time in a way stepping back from, from the daily grind and trying to just get a sense of where this was all headed. So, you know, I have BioFit that's doing the, doing the green gyms and the natural fitness. I consult to, to real estate developers on their sustainability strategy. I have Biophilico, which is my kind of interiors business. Like, okay, so, you know, what is all this? Like, what are you doing? Is it, is it really one thing or are you trying to create three different businesses or two businesses and a consultancy? And when I just tried to you know, keep going further, keep asking the why, like what's behind that? What am I about? What's this really all about for me? And where do I want this all to go over the next 10 years? I realized that, yeah, the idea of, of just making the world a greener and healthier place is what I'm about. And the healthier is more of a sort of people angle. So you know, wellness and fitness and, and the green piece is really about planet and environmentally friendly solutions. I happen to to enjoy this area of physical spaces. So it became the Green and Healthy Places podcast. That's not to say that one day it couldn't be it can be a spin-off that the green and healthy products or the green and healthy brands. But mm. I've, I'm focused on the idea of how you create a place, whether it's a building, a resort, a university, an office. And it was really me setting out my stool for the next 10 years of my life. You know, once you, it's a really meaningful thing once you've kind of, you haven't worked things out, but you, know, you get to a certain point, I'm nearly 40 now, and it's taken, it was been quite a, roundabout path but I feel like I've got to a point in my life where I'm like okay maybe in a way this is what it's all been about and and in any case this is what I'm doubling down on over the next decade and this is where I want to create some kind of a legacy and think beyond just you know hand to mouth and feeding myself paying my rent this is now okay how can I build something that that is meaningful and has a lasting impact on the world and yeah hopefully you know if it goes well then something to pass on to the future generations but i increasingly feel that there is just an urgent urgent need to take action and if my thing is is around interior spaces and, and real estate and and fitness then you know how can i have the most impact in the time available to me and i think the idea of connecting with people as we're doing now via a podcast and having an audio version that that in a way, expounds on these values and this value system, but that comes at it from a number of different ways, talking to experts, talking to people who've done it, who are living it, who are breathing it, and who are at the forefront of the sector. It's on one level, a fascinating experience for me. I get to, I learn a lot by doing it, by doing the research before the podcast, and you get to connect with people from the industry. And uh, I, I think that human connection, albeit online, is vital and it's something that I felt was a little bit missing and I wanted to I wanted to work on that and and find a way to have yeah these meaningful interactions with with other people from from my sector and then putting that out there online there's no real financial gain to this it's it's more just a belief that there's value in in the kind of insight that, that we're able to put out there and it's fascinating to see how these podcasts as you know once they're up online they they just they just sit there 
Anyone can discover it any day and will continue to do so until you take the thing down. So it's yeah. been a lot of fun already and uh, it's, it's starting to take up, pick up some momentum now, which is really, really exciting and, and encouraging. Yeah, well done with us. Matt, where can people find you? Yo, so I'm at biofit.io and my own site, mattmorley.net, M-A-T-T-M-O-R-L-E-Y.net. And that's where I host the podcast and sort of bring it all together a little bit so everyone can see the various things that I'm, that I'm up to. And there's, there's something new in the pipeline uh, in the next few months as well. Still on, awesome. the, on the, still on the green and healthy, although actually a bit more of a blue and health theme with more of a seas and yachts and things like that. So keep an eye out for, yeah, there's more coming. There's more coming. All right. All right. That sounds exciting. All right. Will do. I've got a, a, a few questions for you and then I'll let you go. What's your favorite word? My favorite word? Mm-hmm. I guess I'm going to think less in terms of, you know, what word do I use myself, more in terms of a word that I think I, I, I refer to in terms of how I try to live my life. I think it's humility. I, I really believe that being humble enough to recognize how little we know, being humble enough to recognize that, you know, that the, the themes ahead of us in terms of resolving the environmental crisis and having a positive impact on, on people and planet is so huge yeah. that you, you have to stay humble and have to adopt a beginner's mind, keep learning, stay hungry, continue to, to expand your horizons. But at the same time, maybe, you know, within that humility, but persistence and just, just believing that, that if you can, you can have those two and enough belief in yourself, you can, you can make an impact. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at at this point in my life. Sounds good to me. Thank you. What's your favorite job? Like what would I enjoy doing or like, However you want to take this, but uh, as in job, li quite literally, I'll give you a couple of examples. Just I asked this to a friend of mine and she said, cleaning my bathroom, you know what I mean? And art, someone else might say being a teacher. But I'm curious mm -hmm. as to what's yours because you do quite a few things. Yeah, the teaching thing is interesting. I think, I think in a way that then connects with you know, what we were touching on earlier. I thought my favorite job was, well, I'm going to be a, like a gym owner. And that was so wrong. Nothing wrong with owning a gym, but it was just not what I wanted to I do. Did. And I, I found for me, like for me, I think it's very connected to, to, to personality type. And, you know, my thing is being like an expert advisor or, or a, an expert consultant. I, I just I find it so enjoyable being able to do multiple projects with with people that I really find interesting and, and stimulating and then and help them to, to do what they do and then to step back. And that is it. That is not for everyone. But for me, that is what I'm, I'm best suited to. And I found that I'm, you know, unless you create the new CrossFit and you get to do you know, hundreds or thousands of gyms around the world, probably that's not happening with BioFit, let's be honest. But that's okay because I get to work with a small number of people alongside them as this sort of expert advisor and just share all the knowledge that I have, help them to give birth to this beautiful thing. Uh, and, and then I kind of step back. So I haven't got to be raising finance myself or any, anything like that. So I, I think I found my, I found my niche and that's, I just got to stick to that now. When did you really understand that? It was around that turning point of about year two of, of doing Biofit where, yeah, you just had to make a pretty bold decision in terms of switching focus. And it was then, okay, I'm going to do more of what I know, which is finding a client and showing them that I, 
I understand their position. I've worked in-house on the other side of the equation as well, mm-hmm. real estate developers. So, and, and on the hotel side, I sort of I understand where they're coming from. But then selling myself as a as a service provider. And it's an interesting concept, right? It's kind of again, there's that as an element of humility. You have to be confident enough in your own knowledge and, and expertise, but also an ability to learn. Yeah. And also to accept, recognize what you know and what you don't know. And, and yeah. that, you know, frankly, there, there are better people operating gyms than, than me. So be humble and, and stick to that humility, Matt, and just do what you do best, which is helping people to set up and create these things and then let them operate them, manage them themselves. And that's, you know, just kind of finding your piece in the, in the puzzle I and am. then zeroing in and going deep into that. That's, that's what I've learned. Yeah. I'm smiling deep right now because two things come to mind. The first one is the reason why you and I get along is because I am also like this. And the number two piece is what you briefly mentioned early on, and I know you and I talked about it before, but the generalist versus specialist argument, which I, I love that concept. I love the question. I love the conversations. Well, I think that's similar to you for many years. I've been wanting to be a specialist of some sort. I've been looking up to people who are very well known, very, very good at what they do and wanting that up until the point where I have to come to terms, I have to make peace and then I have to maximize and capitalize on the fact that I am a true born generalist. To be practical, similar to you, I find myself loving the consultancy aspect of things and perhaps why I'm, co- I'm training as a psychotherapist and working as a coach with people because I love being the brain and the strategy person, helping people you know, write things on the wall and helping them organize their, their actions and then letting them get on with it and giving them a bit of support. I find myself, to use an expression that my wife and I use often, I find myself being in in my genius when I do that. And not only I feel good about myself for doing right and doing good, but I also find myself being in purpose and helping others in a way that uh, perhaps I could not otherwise. You know, the humility piece is then knowing to say no. Yeah. Because you you know what your what your thing is, you've worked that out. Okay, I'm about green and healthy places, and I'm best as a sort of expert consultant advisor. So then that means anything that doesn't fall within those that kind of Venn diagram, the answer is no. And Preach. that yeah. can be, that can be tough to say no to certain things. Would you like to set up this gym? Do you want to come in on this project? We'll give you equity. We'll do this. You know what? If it doesn't fall within those two concepts yeah. or somewhere in the middle then you just have to let it go by and that's yeah i wish i'd learned that <laughs> i wish i'd learned that earlier but you you, you got to get there yourself i find saying no to people much easier than i, I find it saying no to myself because as you just said some couple of things come your way and you're like this is exciting i could learn a lot doing this and you know having to go back and go actually if i start doing this i can't do everything else that i know is actually my spiel so yes thank you for that matt all right what's your favorite skill my mind turns to my mind turns to the fitness stuff i do i i i do find yeah it's something i suppose in a way like there's there's definitely certain things that we're born with certain skills or capacities that we're born with uh and 
sometimes they're not entirely clear, even for us. I've been doing something recently where I just started experimenting with long distance running. You know, I'd never really done that before. I'm allowed to call that a skill. You know, I'd never run, as far as I know, more than 15, 20 Ks in my life. And I started expanding my own mental horizons around what was what was physically possible. So I was reading about ultramarathon runners, watching the videos of these amazing races in the in the USA predominantly. And so uh, as I'm developing this this argument, it is a skill. So the idea of running an ultramarathon is a new skill that I have developed. And that's a really interesting piece because it's not just can you run 50 kilometers or 50 miles. There's a whole other piece around nutrition, around how you prepare your body physically, how you protect your skin, and a whole bunch of stuff that I did not expect and had to learn fast over the last, say, six to 12 months as I've been going through this process. And it is now a skill that I developed that is, okay, I've got to cover a long distance over like six to eight hours. What, how do you attack that? Like, you've got to start thinking about it 24 hours in advance and knowing how to pace yourself and knowing how to prepare your, your body and your feet for, for what it goes through getting through it if you get injured halfway through in the middle of nowhere with 25k to go which is what happened to me recently and that mental and physical skill that combination of the mental battle getting over your own really like arbitrary limitations or 20k that's all i've ever known and breaking that barrier and once you once you break through it, then actually suddenly you realize that the only thing holding you back, it's not a question of whether you have six hours on a Sunday or two hours on a Sunday. Let's say you make that time. Can you can you go through that mental process that says, I'm capable of doing this and I'm, and I'm going to go do this and I'm going to get through this and I have the skill set required. I have the, you know, physically, I have what I need. I've done the work. Now it all comes together and you have to, it's almost like going on a sort of it's like going on an adventure, you know. Hmm. You head off with your with your little backpack and your water, and and you just have to fend for yourself. Pretty much running alone. I often run solo on these long runs, and you just have to get through this stuff. And it, it is like kind of I feel like a boy scout sometimes, going off with all my all my you know little packs of uh, of food that I'm going to eat along the way, and my music and and. It's been a fascinating skill development process to go through. And, and again, just to, to tie it to your piece on generalist versus specialist and, and the great man, Ido, you know, one, of his, one of his philosophy, one of his key foundation pieces that I think he is inspired by Bruce Lee. Again, it's just, you know, you kind of take that, learn it, go work, work it out, and then boom, throw it away. Or, or take what, let, let, Keep hold of anything that's really relevant to you. So I ended up with this sort of massive ultramarathon run, and then that was it. Drop it. Go do some other stuff for six months. What have I learned? What skills have I developed? Keep those. But right. the actual ultramarathons, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to touch them for six months. I'm going to go do the opposite. I, I came out of that period. So within my periodization through, over the course of the year, I just switched into the next season, dropped it, and I now I'm doing sort of 20 to 30-minute high-intensity sessions and nothing of endurance and it's just been so rewarding to go do that know that you can and then move on not letting it then become to dominate and to be who you are you are an ultra marathon well no done a few and now i'm going to go you know focus on some other stuff for a while and that to me is where this generalist thing comes in go be a specialist for, for three to six months learn everything you can run a couple of ultras 
Yeah. And now I'm like, I'm back and everything's fresh and new. And I'm like these short little strength workouts. I'm like, wow, discovering that all over again. You know, I think that's the joy of, of adopting that, that generalist view because you, it requires a longer term perspective. You know, I'm sure. in no rush. I just dropped jujitsu from my plans. I, I'm not, I'm just not getting up close and personal with 20 other sweaty guys with COVID floating around. So I'll wait. Mm-hmm. How long have I got? The rest of my life? When do I need to retire from jujitsu? I'm in no rush. Yeah. Drop it. Focus on some other things. And and that generalist approach allows you to do that because you've got a long-term time frame and you've got a whole bunch of different skills that you can call on. And maybe now the next thing is Spartan races. And that's what I'm going to go do for the next six months and, and yeah. combining the running with the climbing and, and jumping and all this other stuff. And, and that, for me, that is the most rewarding part of of being a, a generalist it's maybe not for everyone but for me it just means there's never a there's never a dull season there's never a moment where i'm not sure what i can go do right I hear you. thanks for that mate mm. all right just got a couple more for you tell me about something you know for sure that there is a an incredible human animal bond that and beyond that, a human nature bond that I think is in danger of being largely forgotten or ignored by by huge, vast swathes of the planet. And I think for a lot of people, it can be the easiest way to connect with that is is the human and animal bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we co-evolved as long as as long as someone's with me on the process of evolution, and then they're like, okay, we've got a couple of hundred thousand years worth of of history. You know, yeah. we co-evolve with animals, and for example, dogs between five to the fifteen thousand years. They became, at some point, those wolves broke down the barrier or we offered them some food or we offered them warmth and fire and they offered us protection. And that was the beginning of, of their relationship. And then horses came in and, and, and then eventually cattle and agriculture. And agriculture has, has gone a bit wrong, to say the least. But if we go back to the human-animal bond, like that is something that is very present in my own life mm-hmm. and I think is something that can offer amazing amounts of completely free pleasure and and oxytocin which is that little hormone that's released the, the pleasure hormone and uh, i'm just thinking about it a lot at the moment because i haven't got a dog and i am ever more convinced that the the joys and pleasures of of having an animal around you in in your house if, if you if you can if you haven't got kids yet then you know there is a lot to be gained from that and i think it's a it's a way if you if you look at it from that particular perspective of maintaining that that connection with nature which is sort of what I'm what I'm all about. Yeah, I'm with you. Conversely, can you talk of what you're really not sure about? Yeah, where things are going and what condition the world is going to be in when uh, when I move on and uh, and leave my kids to get on with it. And that's something that worries me. Um, I'd like to think that you know somehow we're just going to pull through. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I just increasingly, I, just, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm really, it's like sometimes when you think about how, well, how, how is it possible that, that Nazi Germany happened? How, how is it that the human race was able to, to create that level of genocide? How yeah. was it that we were able to allow slavery to go on for 400 years? But there is just dark, dark stuff in the human psyche. And I've been reading a lot about that recently, particularly around this whole Black Lives Matter movement that I think is actually as much as anything about the links back to slavery and caste and the USA not having fixed its uh, its problems uh, clearly 
And beyond that, you then get into just just the dark side of, of the human character, and and that really, unfortunately, has left me with with even graver doubts about about how successful we're going to be in, in in fixing the let's call it the climate the climate problem and fixing the planet because it's on people, and if if we as the as the human race can't can't find a better solution and a different way of, of doing things in the future, then, you know, we've got, it's, it doesn't look good. And I, I, I just, this is a big theme for me. I, that's why I do what I do to try and make some small impact. And I wish I could say that I was convinced we're going to pull through it. But right mm-hmm. now, you know, I have, I have major questions about what, what the next 50 years looks like on this planet. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. Thank you. I don't want to be thinking about that every morning, you know, you're, yeah, Oh, here we are. Whoop, it's going to be a yep. dark day. <laughs> you can't help but ask yourself those questions as far as I'm concerned. Uh, certain things that I'm really, I feel certain about and others. From time to time, I am very, op- most of the time I am optimistic because resiliency is something that we are made, wired for, wired with. And at times uh, we are also made up, as you said, of quite dark psyches. And it seems like... Um, the human race is capable of, of acting as, it, it, as if it doesn't have a brain, as if it can't learn from history, as if it doesn't really believe in itself. So it's, a, it's an interesting one, to say the least. And I don't think it's, it's so negative about it that we can't talk of it, because it's, it's a matter of fact that we have questions to which we are not sure the answers are going to be that positive. But, you know, I thought I'd ask you, so thank you very much for, for going there. And last but not least... A bit of a, of, a, of a left field question. I am curious as to what you think people who know you would be surprised to hear you know nothing about. The reason I'm saying it's left field because I'm asking you to think about something that you don't know anything about. Yeah, I can, I can be very honest with that. And yeah. uh, I am, I am uh, entirely unpractical. I, am, I just have seemingly an inability to to which is odd because when i'm working in in real estate you're dealing with builders yeah. people who construct things and who are putting in the piping and the electricity behind the walls and yeah. you know when i watch them do what they do i'm just fascinated by it and yet you know if you ask me to take the, the plug socket off and and uh mess around with what it goes on yeah and people are often shocked like what do you mean you didn't make the wooden equipment yourself or you you wouldn't know how to set up that lighting in your gym like yeah actually i i get some an expert to help me with that so again knowing your limitations something i'm working on i found it's probably easier to to work on your skills of like keeping your plants alive than it is becoming more handy and more practical around construction and and what happens behind these four walls so mm-hmm. I, I now just think of myself as like, okay i'm going to focus on the, the aesthetics and the plants and then anything that happens behind the walls or in the ceiling i'm just going to leave that to the experts i'm going to call a guy yeah yeah that often raises an eyebrow because people just think i'm you know mr, mr. andy yeah that's not the case uh, sorry <laughs> <laughs> i got a little black book of handyman let me let me tell you yeah. i love that i mean you, you you seem to be living true to that very first word you mentioned humidity knowing your limits, learning what you want to spend time on, because you could obviously become a Mr. Handyman if you wanted to and spend time and energy on that. But you've got to prioritize because you can do everything, but you can't do everything. You can do anything, but you can't do everything. So I'm loving the fact that you, you seem to be very congruent, and that's always been the case. Well, uh, yeah, but it's interesting, though, right? Because you could say, well, is it? you can't just say, 
at the same time, oh, I'm not practical, yeah. so I'm never going to touch it. That's also not, that's not in my, that doesn't sound right to me. It yeah, needs to be, I okay, I recognize I'm not an expert. Like, what are the, what are the, like, the basics, the lowest common denominator pieces, and how can I at least try to understand it? Perhaps not implement it, but have some sense of what's going on, mm-hmm. be informed. And even if you stay away from like doing it yourself, yeah, because if you just use that as an excuse of saying, oh, I'm not practical, just think of the number of times you could, well, sorry, that's not on me. I'm not going to do anything in the kitchen because I'm not practical. You know, that also doesn't work. So, sure. yeah, it's a, it's a delicate balance uh, mm-hmm. between committing to self-improvement and doing your piece, but at the same time, yeah, recognizing where your skill set really lies. One last question for me, and then feel free to ask me if you have any questions. Besides your podcast and this podcast, what podcast or podcasts would you recommend people listen to? Mm, I'm, I'm big into the world of podcasts, but to give you an idea, you know, I start the day with, okay, we're back to the languages, um, but I start the day with five, five different uh, news podcasts, short, snappy, 10 to 15 minutes, one in English, one in French, got a couple of Spanish and an Italian, just to kind of keep me up to date in what's happening in my, in my favorite countries. And, you know, it's, it's a cumulative approach. So the English one is the FT. I have Soli 24 Ore in Italian. I listen to France Info in Italy. I have a couple of French ones. And I have El País here in, in Spain. And, you know, it just in those 45 minutes, I'm doing my workout routine in the morning or mobility routine. And by the time I'm done, I've built up a little bit of a sweat and I feel like I'm vaguely aware of what's happening in the world and, and particularly in my, my, like, let's say, home countries or my my favorite countries in Europe. And it's something, again, that I started doing during the lockdown and have carried on and refined a little bit and, and edited. And now I've just got down to these fairly short bulletins of, of sort of news summaries for each of the, of the countries that I, I feel most closely connected to. And, you know, you start your day having just enough information in your mind so that you're not overwhelmed, but you're also you're aware of what's happening in the world. And it just gives me a certain, yeah, a certain feeling of accomplishment. By the time I hit that 9 a.m., I've done my stretching, my mobility, maybe done some movement, and, um, and I'm ready to go. I hope you have learned something here and that you get to teach it. Go to rafan.co.uk to subscribe to my newsletter. And remember that when one teaches, two learn. So do teach and learn as much as you can.